This week on Moms Moving On. But I find in the divorce arena, so many of us have a hard time with boundaries and triggers in our co-parenting relationships because of this need to people please or this need to avoid confrontation. And it all kind of goes in a circle, doesn't it? It does. And the more you want to please and the more you want, you get your worth from outside of yourself, the more we're triggered. Also learning how to self-soothe and access that prefrontal cortex when you're angry. And that's where the freedom and control is. Not if someone else is going to change, if they're going to take a chill pill. It's like, okay, they can be crazy. They can do whatever they want, but I got this. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Hi, everyone. We're back with another Moms Moving On, and there's nothing I love more than a repeat offender, which is what we have on today. We have my girl, Dr. Eileen Cohen, who you probably know from social media as Dr. Eileen, because I'm sharing her all the time. Or maybe you've read one of her three books or written in one of her journals that she's put out. I mean, she's a triple threat. She's a psychotherapist, an author, and an amazing mom, helping people deal with their emotions in a more productive way helping people get over people-pleasing, and today, helping people like you get over your triggers. Dr. Eileen, thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to see you and have you on again. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. (laughs) Well, I, I feel like you've been an emotional, like, touchstone for me for so long, personally, as a friend, but watching you do it as a professional and as an author is just amazing, and I'm so proud of all your success. Thank you. I appreciate that. So give us like the Eileen elevator pitch for those of us who haven't listened to you yet. Well, I'm a marriage and family therapist, but I spend a lot of my time writing, which is a big enjoyment for me, Um, whether it's blogging or, you know, writing a book, workbook, journal. And then, yeah, I'm a mom, wife, daughter, all those things. So family member. Yeah. <laughs> Very well-rounded. Um, and you, you know, it's, it's amazing that you have taken what you've learned in your childhood or what you've experienced, and now you're helping people deal with it in, in all of the ways that you were fortunate enough to deal with it. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's great. I love my education. It really helped me be who I am. But also part of that education is our own personal experience. So I was able to take, you know, the facts, research what I was learning and then apply that to my own life, which was so instrumental. And then I could see how difficult the work is. So, for example, I was like a people pleaser and I saw where they came from and how those behaviors weren't working for me anymore and what I could do to change them. And now I can really honor my clients when they come to me with those struggles, because not only do I have the education, but I know what it's like to be there. So I can, I think I can connect with them in a, in a certain way. There's no better way to help somebody through something than really being able to get on their level and understand, which is what you do. And before we jump into triggers, which is something I'm really excited to talk about, we have to side note to people pleasing because your first book, when it's never about you is a guide for people to help get over their people pleasing behaviors and understand it more. But I find in the divorce arena, so many of us have a hard time with boundaries and triggers in our co-parenting relationships because of this need to people please 
or this need to avoid confrontation. And it all kind of goes in a circle, doesn't it? It does. And the more you want to please and the more you want, you get your worth from outside of yourself, the more we're triggered. And it's kind of like a cycle. (laughs) So it does. It ties in together. (laughs) The more you get your worth outside yourself, the more you look for your worth outside yourself, the easier it is for you to feel disappointed, hurt, rejected, and of course, triggered. So what is like the the official medical dictionary term for being triggered? (laughs) Well, they would call it an emotional trigger. So it, listen, it could be a range of things, whether it was something you were in a traumatic event or a traumatic childhood experience, and then something reminds you now of that, and then you feel those emotions in you, and they can express themselves in different ways. Um, and a lot of it are anxiety, um, fight, flight, or freeze, mm-hmm. um, and that happens in different ways. So if you feel triggered, you might automatically attack. You might automatically distance and withdraw. You might um, automatically feel like you need to run and get out of that situation, you know. So we will do many different things when we feel emotionally triggered, which is really our nervous system alerting us there's a threat. Ah, you know. But and then let's do our go-to moves. So what I tried to work with my clients is doing something different, because yes, we're going to be triggered. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, just don't take it personal. Don't feel the trigger." That can't happen. (laughs) I know that. All too well, it can't happen. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. So one is slowing down, noticing what our triggers are, and then we can make a more thoughtful decision on what what we would like to do about that. Well, I talk about it very openly with my audience that I couldn't be in the relationship that I'm in now had I not worked through the traumas that triggered me in my first marriage. And you know, for a long time, I wanted to say, oh, it was all his fault for why we're not married. But in doing the work, I realized how much of it was my fault because of my undealt with stuff. I have severe abandonment issues and daddy issues and all of that. And anything he did that wasn't to sort of like rescue me or make up for how poorly I was treated as a child, I perceived as a threat and turned inward and pushed him away. And I, I recognize that now and I own it. But I don't think how many people realize their unhappiness in relationships very much stems from their own inability to work through these things if they're constantly letting themselves get triggered. Yeah, and it's not fault. It's the part, the part we're playing in it and um, how we're contributing to the problems in the cycle. And not that we're doing it, nobody's doing it to be, you know, on purpose, but these are our natural ways we've learned to best survive in our relationships to best get whatever validation that we thought we needed. And we're continuing that. And until I guess there's relationship conflict or we start feeling anxious and we don't know why, or there's some discomfort, we don't really slow down and take a look at that um, and see how our behaviors are contributing to that. Whether it is, you know, it doesn't have to be overtly being abusive or attacking if it's not knowing how to set boundaries, not speaking up when we're upset, really, you know, feeling like we're getting all that love we need all of it from someone else whether we're acting subconsciously overly um i guess i wouldn't want to use the word needy but overly needing the other person to give us comfort mm-hmm. like a lot of things that might trigger us and then we're reacting and contributing to the problems versus like responding absolutely hey guys michelle here with a word from one of our sponsors 
The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery of results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. For a limited time, get $50 off your device by emailing info at Soberlink.com and mentioning Moms Moving On. Drive safe. Wait, 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 wait. Before we do anything, I have to ask, have you not joined the Moms Moving On membership community yet? This is the place I created for anybody looking for the benefits of coaching without having to commit to a high coaching fee. I've rounded up my go-to experts to put together curated content just for you, including free monthly webinars with me, self-confidence boosters, co-parenting tips and strategies, heartbreak advice, divorce anxiety relief, legal advice from top U.S. attorneys and mediators, financial advice, ebooks to help you on your journey, journal prompts and worksheets, discounts for all my favorite brands. The list goes on and on and on. And all of this at only $9.99 a month. Yep, you heard that right. $9.99 a month to be connected to women all over the world who are going through exactly what you're going through and to connect with me. Go to momsmovingon.com slash become a member and join us today. So, I mean, it's, it's no secret that in a lot of relationships that fail, somebody is being an asshole. How do you, how do you distinguish between someone just blatantly being an asshole and irritating you and making you sad and leaving you unfulfilled and you just being triggered because you have all this undealt with stuff. And that's a really good point to make. And that's where the self-awareness piece comes in and slowing down and seeing and getting more factual. Cause when we're emotional about something, for example, say you're very emotional and highly alert when it comes to criticism, maybe your partner's, <laughs> I think many can relate to that one, including myself. Um, maybe your partner is just giving um, constructive criticism or didn't mean to come off as um, being critical. For example, and one example I give in one of my books is um, say you guys are washing dishes when you're washing and um, your partner's drying and then your partner goes, oh, this dish is still dirty. If you have like so much, I guess, already, you know, a trigger of critical, you might see that as in your own mind, oh, he thinks I, or she thinks I don't know how to clean dishes. <laughs> They're telling me, you know, we put all our meaning onto that because we're emotional. Our, yeah. our brains are flooded now. Yes, that would exactly <laughs> happen. With our own triggered, when really maybe if we were more, could be more objective about it, your partner was just pointing out that, oh, let's rewash the dish. Right. You know, so that could be an example. Listen, if your partner then is just calling you names and, you know, being overtly rude to you, then again, but again, what do you want to do about that? 
you might be triggered. Do you want to sink to that person's level and also start attacking and just because you're triggered and hurt? So I think, you know, that's a great point. You make it first evaluate, say, okay, is this my own stuff I need to work on? How can I slow down, get more objective about that? And then either way, how would I like to best respond? Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're being an asshole or it's just my stuff. What, where am I at with this? And, and what's the best way to move forward? And then I think, you know, ha- now being in a completely different relationship where I don't feel as triggered, naturally, because I'm human and I'm not perfect and I haven't resolved every issue of my past, my husband knows what will trigger me. So he knows that if I have a reaction to something that is out of the norm of how I react or how we communicate, he knows right there he's, he's pushed a button and we're going to approach some, that issue in a different way. And I think that's important too, that you're with somebody who, you know, not that excuses your behavior, your reactions, or, or when you're triggered, but knows not to step on the landmine. Like there's, there's certain things that people are going to react to for certain reasons. And if you're with somebody who continuously disrespects the trauma within you, that's also an issue. But that being said, in a perfect world, none of us would react to triggers. So what are we supposed to do when we feel triggered? (laughs) And I think that's a great point. That's great. That's where communication comes in and really having a partner that listens. And a lot of us might say, finally, I was able to communicate, but the person's still doing, you know, what triggers me now? What? You know, that's I would love, you know, we'd all love for our partners to be more thoughtful and considerate once we communicate, then, you know, there would be less divorce and we could work it out. But um, especially when it comes to the relationship not working out or and the person still continues to trigger you. Okay, now what do I do with that? Because as we could see, we can't change the other person. And I'm sure if you could, you'd probably still be married. <laughs> um, so that, and, and just because you're not married anymore, if you do have kids, you still have to deal with that person. Right. And you still got to deal with the triggers that come with it. Right. So, and and what's, what's so ironic about divorce is now co-parenting with somebody, like you've, you've put yourself through the divorce, whether you made the decision or he did, you've gotten through that part. But now you're co-parenting with the only person who knows how to trigger you most. So it's it's very, very pertinent that you take care of these things and recognize them so you don't self-sabotage your whole co-parenting process. Right. So one would be shifting that focus from them and what they do to yourself, slowing down, really evaluating, okay, is this something like, um, what, what, what are my emotional triggers? You know, when when maybe my part, my ex says something about my parenting style or tries to tell me what to do or um, gets, you know, loud, you know, identifying those and then saying, okay, is it something that I could resolve from the past? Did I have a parental figure that was like that? Or have I always just been, did I have a traumatic experience? And how can I then kind of resolve that? And one way to resolve it too is with each situation that comes your way, slowing down and noticing it and then managing because their part is being whatever they're going to be. Your part is okay. How you feel about that. And unfortunately in a wonderful world, you know, um, the person that's doing wrong would take ownership, you know, ease your discomfort, help you through those emotions, but that usually doesn't happen. So we then are left with the emotions. Not when you're co-parenting, it's not this person's job to make you feel better anymore. Right. They're just doing their thing as usual. So your feelings are yours to own. 
and learn to manage and, and, and the one, you know, to soothe them. So learning to self-soothe in those moments and finding ways to resolve the past, whether it's seeing a therapist, reading through it, or doing your family genealogy, understanding more objectively, like what went on there. And then in each situation you face, using that as an opportunity to self-soothe, you know, you can't not be triggered. So understanding those triggers seeing they're there, identifying your feelings, validating, and then saying, okay, I'm self-soothing. What do I need to do? Do I need to take a few minutes before I respond? Whatever it is. And then making the decision, okay, how would I like to then approach this situation? And what a lot of my clients find useful is to have a set idea of that before, knowing their value, saying, listen, even if my ex screams, yells, and degrades me, I never want to go to that level. You know, that's my value. I don't treat people with, with disrespect. I can, and I can't change that person, but I can influence by how I act. Mm-hmm. So no matter how that person treats me, I'm going to stick to the facts and be the responsible, you know, adult, manage my emotions rather than then decide how I'm going to set boundaries and communicate um, in a different way. To take that position, especially when little lies are watching, because... You know, I always say it's not divorce that messes up the children. It's the way that two people within the divorce now handle co-parenting and treat each other because divorce in itself is slightly chaotic for kids. But now if they're witnessing this back and forth of just toxicity, nobody benefits. So if one person, you, the person listening, knows how to react in these situations, Think of the sense of calm and semblance and safety and stability you're giving your children because they really need one safe port in the storm in this type of environment. So that if, if nothing more motivates you to stop reacting, you know, to what's triggering you, then then let it be this. Right. And you just made a, a point, a good point with the word calm. So we all want to when when the conflict happens, our natural reaction is to try to manage the other person, calm them down. But what if we could shift that focus to calm ourselves and manage our own anxiety in that moment, yeah. um, doing whatever we need to do. A lot of my clients find different ways, whether it's like meditation, the way they speak to themselves, um, practicing acceptance. Something we talk about is kind of, you know, when you have a Coke bottle and you shake it up and you open it right away, what happens? Mm-hmm. Well, how? what if also when we shake it up, we just let it be in that Coke bottle? And maybe envisioning that what happens if we wait 10, 15, 20 minutes and you open the bottle, it's not as explosive. Um, So it's the same as how our brains and mind work. If we can learn to calm ourselves and manage ourselves, we'll have more access to our thinking brain and really what's best versus just trying to react and attack back or do whatever we need to do. And just because you are, you know, some people are like, well, how that person's going to get away with it or they shouldn't. Well, there's other ways to go about things. You know, if the person's being disrespectful and appropriate, we don't have to attack back. We can set the boundaries. We can go back to the the trust, not the trust agreement, the um, co-parenting agreement. We can go back to what the rules are and back to the facts and not even engage in name calling and things um, like that. The best way, and I, you know, as somebody who is scared of conflict and is a people pleaser, the I, I spent a good part of my beginning of my separation and divorce fighting back because I was trying to protect myself and all the wild things, you know, that come out when you're emotional at the beginning of divorce. 
But then I realized the best way for me to not be triggered and to not get emotionally invested and to not let it ruin my day and then make me, you know, just miserable around Bella was to just not respond. And if there's nothing more, like you don't have to respond because anything that's coming into question, you know, whether your ex-spouse is talking about your parenting or using your past against you or whatever it is, nothing really needs to be discussed outside the bounds of like, hey, what time are you picking up the kids? And I don't realize that, I realize that not many people realize that because they're not relying on their parenting plans as their number one boundary. It is the boundary of co-parenting. And we let ourselves get too emotionally pulled in for sure. And that's a good point. That's something that could be made on the list of your values and stuff before. If it, if it gets to anything beyond the kids, I'm not engaging. Mm-hmm. No matter how much I feel triggered or pulled in, like this is my, my rule, my boundary. Like I'm not, gonna, I'm not engaging in that conversation. We're not married anymore. I don't have to. And I'm only going to engage in X, Y, Z. Um, and, um, that's a great point to make is that knowing those boundaries, knowing where, how far you're going to go in it. And even if you are triggered, it doesn't mean that you have to be pulled in. And over time, as you probably notice is the less and less it, it bothers you and triggers you, the more that you can just manage it. Because a lot of the times when we do respond back, it's just our way of releasing the anxiety back to the person. And it's very uncomfortable. I'm sure at first to not respond, to not get pulled in. But if a person can sit with that and be with it. Um, it makes such a difference later and it gets easier. You know, it's like um, building a new muscle and a new way of, of, of responding. And I also know, you know, something that I've become good at is, like I said before, understanding where other people are going to be triggered is really, really important to any relationship. You know, if I, if I call my mom and tell her I didn't like her outfit, she's going to be triggered because how she looks it, there's a value to her behind that. And, and so I'm not going to say something of that nature. The same way I'm not going to put my ex-husband's parenting in question when I approach him about something. I'm going to learn to word things differently so that he doesn't feel triggered. And you have to take responsibility of that sometimes. You know, I, I'm a big believer that you're not in charge of other people's emotions or reactions, but you do have a little bit of responsibility. If you're looking to avoid confrontation, you can't trigger somebody else. And it might very well happen, but just being mindful of that is good because you might approach your ex the best way possible and they might still get triggered. But if you know that you didn't, you, you know, that you did it the best way possible, you stuck to the facts, you said what needed to to be said, most likely they won't get triggered, but maybe sometimes they still will, but you're taking responsibility for your part, which is important for people to do that, especially in the emotionally fueled beginning stages of divorce. But, you know, I I had taken this class on trauma and resilience, and it taught me so much about myself and how I was responsible for certain situations and, and things I had gotten myself into. And it really taught me to take a step back in situations and say, it's not you, it's me. Like to understand when I'm visibly upset about something or, or really feel the emotion deep inside my stomach, that it really very often has nothing to do with the person and very much to do with me. And being able to say that now has cost me, has, has afforded me like so much peace mm-hmm. in my life because I'm not in this constant state of trying to be heard and validated and fixed by somebody else. Right. And how much, like you're not going to be validated by an ex that's angry at you. So you're always going to be left triggered and disappointed. Right. Good point. And um, and no, and that's great. And and I think a lot of people think by shifting the focus to themselves and seeing their part, they're taking the blame. 
But it's really just taking um, responsibility for the only part you have control over. And if we keep focusing on the X and what they're doing, we're missing a huge opportunity to grow and change and to heal whatever wounds, you know, whether we like it or not, our triggers are signals to things that maybe we should take a look at. And, you know, maybe that we could work on and maybe not. Maybe, you know, they are just people that are out of line. But again, this could be an opportunity to learn how to work with people that are out of line and to still be our best selves in that communication and show our children or child how it is, you know, how how we can best deal with difficult people um, or when we're conflict, you know, I mean. My mom was always the person who, you know, said, just, just walk away, don't engage, walk away, don't engage. I think sometimes there is a benefit to engaging in a sense that helps you set the boundary and says, I won't deal with this instead of fighting back. And I think, you know, that's, that's a really great lesson in that too. Yeah. So I think maybe before it happens, knowing like maybe making a list or being aware of what you're willing to do and not do how far you're going is a, is a great place to start because even when you are triggered, the less likely you'll get to be pulled into that. Divorce is never easy. And when children are in the picture, it can be extra tricky, especially when communicating with your ex is a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. FAIR helps eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. In the long run, creating a loving environment for your kids. Here's what you can do on the FAIR app. There's a time-sharing calendar to track custody, exchange days, and never forget those special events. Documentable text messaging. And an expense tracker so both parents can add and monitor expenses, track receipts, and add notes. GPS check-in, that's a court-verifiable way to document your presence at all GPS-verified locations. A monthly parenting report to download with your details. A private journal to take notes, add photos, and screenshots. A file vault to keep your records, photos, and documents organized and in one place. The opportunity to export all of your records into a convenient, time-and-date-stamped PDF when you need documentation for legal matters. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. FAIR allows you to experience co-parenting in a totally new way. Simply, inexpensively, transparently, and fairly. Lose the he said, she said, and be the best parent you can be. Be F-A-Y-R, FAIR. Subscribe at BeFAIR.com. That's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com. And then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. Go to FAIR.com for more details. Don't forget to use the code MICHELLE to save 20% off the cost of the app. Any techniques for like, you know, physical ways to release the anger when you're triggered? Get up, take a walk, breathe, touch a pillow. (laughs) Well, so I know there's this idea behind releasing it. And I think what if we could learn to hold on to it and be uncomfortable and learn to to soothe ourselves and manage it? Because if we're always looking for outlets that has control over us. What if, you know, what if we don't have access to that meditation app we need or that glass of wine or, you know, I mean, great. If you can, you know, take a walk to really learn to to focus and manage. But with my clients, I tried to work more on if it will be easier to manage and deal with once you've dealt with and resolved unresolved issues. There's still, you know, stuff of the past. 
And yes, if you really feel like you can't control it, it is better to, I guess, you know, take a walk um, or I tell my daughter, punch a pillow. <laughs> Don't punch your sister, punch a pillow. Um, you know, healthier ways of finding that out. You know, maybe you like a routine. You make sure you work out every day or before you engage that maybe you're not like, if you notice you're super stressed, taking a step back, those things you can do. But if you do find yourself really triggered and angry, how you can learn to sit with it be well, with it's it. Concept. Accept it. Notice it. Um, you, you find that you're so much more in control of yourself in your life. If someone can trigger you and you could just be there and soothe yourself and learn to respond, which it's, it's a hard task to do because um, if I can explain the brain without boring you for a minute, <laughs> that <laughs> there's a prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking, you know, which um, humans have evolved over time. Then there's amygdala, which is alerted when we feel threatened, when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're scared. And that part of our brain is the most primitive. And it can be useful in certain situations to help us act fast. Um, but when it comes to anger or trigger relationship stuff, it's usually not so helpful, but it hijacks our prefrontal cortex. So you might say, listen, but Dr. Eileen, I have like zero, what people find when they slow down, zero access to my logical thinking when I'm angry. <laughs> so maybe, yes, if you could say, okay, in those moments, like it's really difficult for me. So maybe I need to go put my hands under hot water to like get myself to focus. That's helped some people. If I do need to take a walk or if I do need to say to myself, whenever I'm angry, I know myself, like I need to take a good hour before I even answer someone. Mm -hmm. So part of it is knowing yourself. And then through that, also learning how to self-soothe and access that prefrontal cortex when you're angry and when you're upset. And that's where the freedom and control is. Not if someone else is going to change, if they're going to take a chill pill, if they're going to be nicer to you, if they're going to give you your worth. It's like, okay, they can be crazy. They can do whatever they want, but I got this. Like I can self-soothe and manage. I know who I am. And there's a lot that goes into that um, self-soothing, like a lot of work behind the scenes, like you were saying, like resolving trauma, knowing your worth from inside, knowing your triggers. And then also learning to, I guess, self-regulate. And a lot of us look to others to do that for us. Why are we like this? Um, well, it goes, we, we're humans and we're um, social beings. And from, you know, from birth, we, you know, when you have a newborn, you put them on your chest. Why? So that we can help regulate their hearts, their heartbeats and their emotions. And if we're calm, our babies are calm. Mm -hmm. And it's totally natural and normal. But if we're in an environment that they call toxic, toxic or overly anxious, we have a very difficult time self-regulating. So if you're born in a more calm environment with a mother, father, or caregivers that can self-regulate, it's more natural to us to self-regulate. But if you were born more in an anxious environment, um, it's so hard to self-soothe. And then we look outside of ourselves for that self-regulation but there's hope yeah. <laughs> you can learn to do that, you know, as you're older by noticing, paying attention and doing all the work that I'm talking about, but it's not, it's, you're not doing anything but wrong by looking to others to self-regulate or that, you know, finding it difficult when other people are angry and confrontational for you to access your brain. I mean, that's totally natural human stuff there. Um, so it's something I guess we learn to do as we get older and which, which you're seeing with your new marriage, which it's not only an inside job, there's other, like the therapist can be a healing relationship when you connect and you see it's safe and they can help with the self-regulation when they're calm. 
with any kind of other friendships or communities. You know, a lot of people find being part of a community is helpful. Um, those are kind of healing relationships. So it's an inside job, but also, you know, it's also an outside job. So um, that's why people, or even just being, then you can be that for your child. Right. Um, so if you can self-regulate, self-soothe in moments when things are anxious, you're helping to show that to your kid. So what do they say if your kid's having a tantrum upset, like, you know, don't go to them and and start screaming and yelling and you throw a tantrum because they're going to get more upset. But if you can be that calm presence in that moment, it's soothing to everybody. I can be that. But first I need to leave the room and take like 2,800 deep breaths. And then I go in and give her that calmness. But I think it's important, you know, all around that if you're coming out of a marriage and you want to move on happily, that you stop putting the responsibility on other people for how you feel or to make you feel better and, and really just look within. It was one of the best things I did for myself. And I truly believe it's what's helped me to be in a healthy relationship and the spouse that I am now and also the mom I am now. So I appreciate this information so much. And I know that our listeners do too. But because there's so much more to you than just triggers, can you like walk us through each one of your books? I want everybody to know about how helpful um, your books can be if you're trying to heal yourself. So when it's never about you is a guide for people pleasers is specifically for that. But I do talk a bit about, you know, why that happens um, from your family history and how it could have developed and what you can do to make changes. And that can, I think a lot of people that might identify as approval seekers, perfectionists and stuff like that, it's useful to them. And I always have exercises at the end of each chapter because it's great to know something, but it's another thing to do it. Right. And then there's um, It's Within You, which I co-authored with um, Rabbi Aria Weinstein. And it's about looking within yourself and um, how we can only be the ones to change, not change other people. And this is from spiritual wisdom. You don't have to be religious or Jewish or whatever to get benefit from it. It's just knowing your self-worth from within. And then also knowing that you're the only person that can really change in a relationship. That is probably the most important book to read while we're on this topic, but okay. Yeah. And I talk all, we talk a lot about um, emotional triggers and then there's anxious free answers, which is all about, you know, where anxiety comes from, why we're so anxious, how it's a natural part of life and kind of what we can do about it. And then I have journals that go with each book to help you know, just to think through things. Cause it's like I said, not enough to just read a book. You got to actually apply it and put it in practice. Well, anyone who's worked with me or spoken to me or taken one of my workshops knows how much I believe in the power of journaling. So I'm going to link all of this in our show notes, but Dr. Eileen, if you were going to give one piece of advice to a woman listening today, what would it be? <laughs> It'd be, it's, it's not your fault. Um, you know, you're just kind of doing, you're doing your best. You're doing what you've seen in your family of origin. And, you know, if it's not working for you anymore, if you feel you're always upset or triggered, you can change that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you're to blame or it's all on you. It just means that you have the power and the strength and, and to make changes in your life and to have better relationships. And that's, and that's possible. And that's, that's the best freedom um, that there is. Amen. Freedom is <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, everybody can find this beautiful lady on Instagram at Dr. Eileen right now and dreileen.com. 
and Google her on Amazon. You'll find all her books and articles and all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, And to those of you listening, thank you for being here. I appreciate you and I can't wait to get to you next time. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.